Welcome to Brave and Boss, a podcast for the purpose-driven founder who wants to grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Christy Sumer. I'm the CEO and founder of the Ethical Fashion Line Encircled, a conscious business coach and passionate about helping you break through your limits and build a brand that matters. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to another episode of Brave and Boss the Podcast. This is episode four, the best type of marketing there is. So let's dig in. I'm assuming when you heard this title and saw it come up in your podcast feed that you thought, oh my gosh, she must have some sort of silver bullet to making millions and millions of dollars. So I do, but I'm going to be fully transparent that it is not the easiest to execute. All the time I see on the internet, all these people, and maybe it's just the space that I've kind of been um, adjacent to for a while, but you see a lot of people claiming that they can help you build a seven-figure business and all this kind of talk like this. And a lot of those people are marketing to people on how to market to people. Uh, which is just this like weird cycle of like marketing to marketers who market. And it's like just a weird dynamic. But anyways, um, that said, certain businesses, there's definitely a more formulaic approach to building your business. But I would have to say for, for a product-based business, it can be a little bit different. There's so many factors. What you're selling has a hard cost to it. Whereas when you're selling your services, your time is valuable, but your time is not a sunk value. So it doesn't sit on the shelf. It doesn't expire. Um, there isn't cost to it unless you use it. Whereas with products, we all know when you have a product-based business, you have to pay for your product typically upfront um, or somewhat in the process of making the delivery to the customer. So Today, I'm focusing on marketing, and I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle for marketing that you may not expect from me specifically, but I'm going to tell you, and full spoiler alert, and I encourage you to keep listening to this episode, so don't just like press pause once I say this, but the best type of marketing there is, is to make a high quality product that somebody needs and enjoys using. That's it. The best marketing you can have ever for your business is creating amazing products. If your product is not amazing, and we'll go into what could potentially go into that, then you're not building on a strong foundation. It is fundamentally important, no matter who you hire, what kind of agency, how good they are at Facebook ads or press, that you will not get longevity and scale out of your business if your product isn't something that's well-made and that people have a need or a want for. So what does that really mean? What is a high quality product? What makes that? What makes somebody actually want a product? Um, What expectations do customers have for your products? And what happens if you launch a really crappy product? How do you deal with that? What if you make a mistake? There's so many questions on this. And I personally know from coming from my product background that Making a product is not easy. There's so many factors that go into it. I started my career originally in retail, and then I moved over to consumer packaged goods. And consumer packaged goods, aka CPG, for those of you that may be familiar with that acronym, they love their acronyms in that industry. I worked at a company called Colgate Palmolive. Uh, Colgate is 
tier one CPG company, which means they're um, very, very large. They're multinational. They're everywhere in the world. Um, and they make a ton of products, names like Colgate, uh, Lady Speedstick, Palmolive, um, Soft Soap, names that you would have seen at pretty much every grocery store or pharmacy that in North America, at least, and oftentimes around the world. Um, so they're a big, big, big company. So through that process of working in brand management for them, I started there as an associate brand manager and then eventually moved into brand management for their toothpaste portfolio. I learned the process of creating a product. Um, I was very, very lucky because in Canada, the uh, Lady Speedstick division, which I started on, actually innovated products. So other divisions basically would just have to take products that the global division developed. And that was the case for most um, most products in the portfolio, at least in Canada, was that we would take them from the global portfolio, do the regulatory clearance required for them, and launch them in our market. Whereas on Lady Speedstick, uh, the Innovation Center was actually in Canada, so we actually developed products from the ground up. And I was lucky enough to be part of a product development process from end to end for one of the most successful products ever launched there called Lady Speedstick Stainguard. Now, deodorant's been around for a really long time. And this is full disclosure. This was like, oh, I don't know, eight years ago now, or maybe even more than that. So at the time, natural deodorant was definitely not a thing. Um, people were very still concerned with perspiring and um, getting less sweat, like clinical deodorant had just launched um, more broadly at that time. So people were trying not to sweat at all, basically, uh, was the goal. So it was definitely a very different consumer market. I mean, this was 2009, I guess. So I, it's almost 10 years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, but when developing this product, we really went through this process whereby we wanted to develop concepts for the product and link them to a consumer insight. So what does that mean? Well, we wanted to create a product that responded to a customer insight, which is something that is inside a customer's head. So something that a customer is thinking about a product that we can't deliver on yet. And the main thing that was happening around that time, because there was this like prevalence of these quote unquote clinical level strength deodorants. Um, anytime you up the strength of the deodorant, generally you have to increase the percentage of the clinical ingredients of aluminum that are in it um, or some sort of antiperspirant material like that. And it will cause increased staining on garments just inherently because the reaction from the chemicals onto the garment will cause, for example, yellow stains on white clothing. Um, and that's just inevitable. So Colgate came up with concept that, you know, let's develop a lower aluminum deodorant, not necessarily for the purposes of health or anything like that, but just to be able to not have that staining ability on people's white shirts, because that's really embarrassing. It ruins the longevity of the clothing. It's impossible to get out. Um, and that was kind of the main benefit. And walking through that process was very interesting because we obviously had to test all the claims to make sure they held up if they were going to be um, clinically relevant, put on packaging and all that kind of stuff. But the main takeaway I had from that product development process is that you have to create a product that people need and want or and or want, I guess. Need is a purpose like 
toothpaste. There's a need for toothpaste because people need to brush their teeth. But people, there's also room in a lot of consumer markets for wants. So people who want a product to do something, to benefit them, to inspire them, to um, make their life more enjoyable. There has to be a connection there. Otherwise, you're just making to create. And this can be very hard for creative types. If you are an artist and you're listening to this, or if you are a fashion designer or somebody or jewelry maker who just is so in love with the process of making and creating that that brings so much value to you, then that's great. I think that's amazing. But scaling a business with that is very difficult because you have to be able to translate that spirit that you have for your art and your craft to other people eventually. You can't always be making your art or your jewelry or your fashions yourself because as the business grows, if you guys aren't at that stage, more and more of your time gets taken up with more of the operational side of business. So it's super important to um, stay focused and have something that can scale, a product that can actually scale. And that doesn't mean you need to sell yourself out. By no means am I saying that, but there has to be something bigger tying your product together. Oftentimes I see fashion lines, uh, especially when I first started in the industry in 2012 with my business, that just, you know, this is very common. You know, you have a fashion line and your value proposition is, here is my spring collection. And my collection is inspired by, you know, the Greek goddesses or something like that. And you'll see this quite often in fashion. And I think that works if you're a really, really big brand because you can get away with having just something totally ubiquitous like that in your head and translating it into a collection. But to consumers, it doesn't really make sense. You really have to start to orient your brand around your ideal customer in order to be able to get some traction. So for example, if you're making sweaters, you know, you want to orient your collection around the type of sweater that your customer actually wants to wear. What kind of fabric do they want? What kind of style are they lacking in their wardrobe around sweaters? What are their biggest frustrations with sweaters? Do they find them too itchy? Do they find they pill too easily? So asking those questions and uncovering those insights can really help set you apart. Really, really set you apart. So that's something I encourage you guys to all do throughout your product development process is ask questions. The second thing is listen to feedback. So listen to your customers. I know a lot of people also that are very afraid to have reviews on their website. And I just think that's a huge mess. Reviews can have a number of positive impacts on your website in addition to increasing your conversion rate. So making it more likely that somebody's going to purchase with you. It's also a valuable customer feedback mechanism for you to learn more about what people think about your product. And that in itself is priceless because you will never know what people think unless they are very, very outspoken. You will get people occasionally and we get people telling us all the time, um, not all the time. That sounds like really egotistical, but periodically we get people emailing us and saying, oh my God, I just have to tell you you're so amazing. But I would say that is pretty unusual. More often than not, we see most of our feedback anecdotally through comments on Facebook or Instagram and mostly on our reviews. So that's really when we start to learn what people think of our products in real life. And that becomes a source of product innovation for us as well at Encircled. So we are taking that information and integrating it into different versions of our product. So unlike many fashion retailers, we don't sunset products. I would say we're more akin to like a Lululemon where we make um, 
a 2.0 version or a 3.0 version of a product. So as an example, we just launched the retrograde kimono dress too. And basically that dress was doing okay. It's a three-in-one convertible kimono dress tunic. Um, and it's very, very cool. But the feedback was that it was very boxy and oversized. So we played around with the design a lot and we actually added pockets because we noticed a lot of people were talking about wearing it as a blazer and they wish it had pockets. So that is insight that we would never have seen had we not had reviews on our site. So I think you need to unleash or let go of that fear of having um, reviews on your site because you are going to get crappy reviews. And if you do get a crappy review, on your website of your product, then you can take that and see, does it matter? Is it important? Is this customer angry? Or is this actually relevant, constructive feedback that you can build into your product development process to make your products even more amazing? So why I say the best type of marketing there is, is making a quality product is because if you make a high quality product, people are going to talk about it. They're going to rave about it. And we've seen that encircled with our dressy sweatpants. People love those pants and they talk about them all the time. They become a source of conversation and your customers then do the marketing for you. So if you're not making a high quality product that you can feel hundred percent proud about, you need to sit back and ask yourself, why not? What is it that you're missing? Could you improve certain elements of your product? Could you make the packaging better? Could you make the fabric better? What could you do to make your product more marketable and have it market itself? These are all such important elements, and I definitely don't want to overwhelm you in this podcast, but I encourage you to think about that kind of stuff. Do you have any products where you feel like they're on the cusp? Maybe they're not performing amazingly well, and maybe they're doing so-so, and what could you do to take them to the next level? Think about that. Write it down. What three things could you do next week to take one of your products, which is underperforming to make a next level? Could it be change the name, rewrite the product description, just write it down right now and take a few minutes after the podcast and see if you can actually take those action steps and put them to work. Now, the second thing I want to talk about a little bit is what happens if you launch a bad product or make a mistake. So this is a very touchy subject in the product development world. Um, product-based businesses, because a lot of us invest a lot of money into our products. So making a mistake can be extremely costly. However, I will say that it's important in my experience to be very transparent with customers when you make a mistake, you can't hide anything. So for us, we've definitely made mistakes with products and tried to turn them into opportunities. So as an example, one time, this is back a few years ago, um, my production contractor made a pair of leggings out of the wrong fabric. And I instantly knew they were wrong when I saw them in the box because the fabric looked too shiny. Um, and when I touched it, I for sure knew it wasn't the right fabric, except they'd been fully sewn in this fabric. Um, and had actually, they had the wrong content labels on them too. They'd been, um, heat transferred with the wrong contents. You couldn't even quite honestly, sell them because it's illegal to have the wrong content on them. So that's a situation where we were still relatively small. This was a hundred pairs of leggings or something like that. And they were basically non-sellable and they weren't a product. Like that was not the fabric we usually used. So basically we went through a process whereby we tested that fabric to see if it did work for a legging. It was a stretch fabric. So, and it was thick enough. So it did work. But we did have the problem that, number one, 
that fabric was way too expensive to be in a legging. Um, and number two, the leggings still weren't saleable because the waistbands had the wrong content on them. So basically what we did was we found more fabric and we had our production contractors cut more waistbands, sew them on. So they had to remove the waistbands, put on different content labels. We created a product in Shopify for them, uh, re-photographed it, um, added more content information, and we told our customers about them. He said, hey, we made a mistake. We made leggings out of the wrong fabric. The fabric is amazing. It's super soft. It's actually very luxurious and expensive. Um, and if you're interested in them, here they are. And they're definitely limited edition because we will not be making this mistake again. And you know what? People bought them. So that's an example of where transparency can really pay off because you've been upfront with what happened. If we just shipped those to customers and didn't say anything, that wouldn't be cool. You know, that's maybe cool for some businesses, but at least with my values, it's really important to be transparent with customers. So that's an example where we've made a mistake on a product that already existed. Um, the question is, what do you do when you launch a bad product, like a product that actually fails? Thankfully, knock on wood, I've never had this situation where we've launched a product where it was completely not usable and we'd shipped it to customers. We are really good with quality control here. So we have made products before that didn't pass our test, but thankfully they weren't pre-sold or anything like that. So that that's a circumstance. But what I can say is that um, in my experience in consumer packaged goods, there's definitely been um, situations where I've heard of products being launched that were had problems after launch, after shipping, um, being at the grocery stores and pharmacies and stuff like that. And again, it comes down to communication and transparency. Sometimes if you make that big of a mistake where you launch a product that's really bad, you have to take that as an opportunity to look back at your product development processes and where you could have tested things to make sure they wouldn't be that bad. Um, in some cases, I think for the most part, you may have to recall the product and communicate with customers and give them refunds if it's that bad. You don't want products out there that are falling apart or not living up to their expectations. That is not good for your reputation as a brand um, and definitely will not help you with your marketing if that's the way things are. What will help you with your marketing is standing up for your brand and saying, this is not meeting our quality standards and it clearly does not meet yours. So we're going to be accountable for that. That can be important. That said, there's a fine line, obviously, between wear and tear and actual quality issues. So sometimes you will have customers who will be really rough with your product and put them in the dryer or run them over with their car. Or God knows what they do with them, and they just get destroyed. And you have to put your foot down somewhere and have policies for stuff like that. That's really important. But you really need to find out what it is your customer needs, what they value, and align your values with that. Because as a brand, you have to stand alone and have your own values, but you also have to make sure you're finding the right customers. If you're an ethical brand, for example, making stuff in Canada, and your customer doesn't care where the product is made, then you've obviously got a bit of a misfit there. The ideal is that you have a product market fit, what they would say in the tech world, whereby you have a product and a market that are just like a perfect fit for each other. You guys are just like peanut butter and jelly with your ideal customer. You're just the right fit. There's a right opportunity. There's the right product. It's performing. The customer's expectations are exceeded. And that's like the holy grail of marketing. 
So the best type of marketing there is, is making a really high quality, awesome product. So take this time and this opportunity to think about, are your products awesome quality? And if not, what could you do to make them better? And I'm not saying you have to do it today. I'm saying you can sit back and write notes and say, this is what I want to do in three months, six months, nine months, a year to improve my products. And you always have to have the eye of that quality with profitability too, because you can't make products that cost you money and have people (laughs) basically paying people to buy your product. You need to find that balance with margin um, and price point and stuff like that. That's super, super important. So thanks for listening to this episode of Brave and Boss, the podcast. If you enjoyed it, hop on over to at Brave and Boss on Instagram and leave a comment on my latest post. I'd love to hear what a high quality product means to you. Have a great night. Bye. Thank you for listening to Brave and Boss, the podcast. If you want to take your e-commerce brand to the next level, be sure to check out my website at christysumer.com, where you can find all the show notes, free resources, and blog posts, and principles to help you grow your online store. You can also follow me at K-R-I-S-T-I-S-O-O-M-E-R on Instagram. Find your purpose, make it happen. I'll talk to you soon.